0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful privilege to come and hear this prayer of Jesus, to eavesdrop in on the conversation between Jesus and yourself. Thank you that it's because of Jesus that we can even do this this morning, that we can come to you in his name, to speak to you, to hear from you. And Lord, we pray that you would come meet with us. Lord, speak, teach us, encourage us. Motivate us, inspire us, convict us, and help us, Lord, to see you in a greater way, to know your love for us deeper, and encourage us to live lives of of faith, live lives worshipping you and giving you glory. It's for your glory we pray these things this morning. Amen. So what makes you tick? What excites you in life? What gets your heart racing and brings joy to your heart? Is it a great symphony of music? Is it a hike in the countryside and looking at the wonderful nature? Is it being engrossed in an action-packed or love-soaked novel or movie? Is it seeing your favorite sports team win an important match? Or better still, being a part of a winning team. I see lots of nods and smiles. Is it going to hear an outstanding preacher proclaim the wonderful truths of the gospel? Is it standing up in church singing triumphant songs to God? Is it going on a date with your wife? Is it seeing your children learn something new? Whatever. What is it? What is it that gets you going? Often the things that set our emotions on fire and stir our insides are the things that we love the most, and the things that we love the most are the things that we therefore live for, things that we give our money to, things that we spend our time doing and give our attention to. This morning, we're in church, we're looking at the Bible, so let me ask you the question, is there anything about God that gets your heart racing? Is there anything about God that excites you and motivates you to live your life for him? Is there anything that causes you to have a greater hunger for more of him and a greater desire to live your life for Jesus? Well, as we look into this prayer, I want to try and persuade you with the Holy Spirit's help to persuade you that actually the glory of God should do that. The glory of God should excite us and motivate us and drive us And should be our goal as Christians, if you are a Christian this morning. Glory means greatness, majesty, splendor, those distinguished qualities of a being. In the Bible, glory in the Old Testament particularly is associated with brilliance and brightness and something that man cannot see. To glorify someone is to offer honor and praise and respect If you look up to glorify in the dictionary, it says this is reserved for God. So how much does the glory of God motivate you and give you passion for life? As I said at the beginning, we've been working through these wonderful chapters of John, seeing what Jesus has been saying to prepare his disciples for heading out into the world on mission to live and to serve for him. We've learned about teaching to love one another, the new relationship we have with the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit to help us, persecution and how we will suffer opposition, what it means to bear fruit for God. But as we come to this last chapter, we hear Jesus praying. And in a way, he does summarize all of these things, so we're not going to repeat ourselves too much this morning. I want us to zoom in on this theme of glory this morning. So as we read through the prayer and as we hear what Jesus says to his Father, let's see the glory of God. glory of God in displayed in Jesus, in his mission. The glory of God reflected in our mission and the glory of God shared at the end of all mission. So the glory of God displayed in Jesus' mission. Read with me from verse 1. After this, Jesus said, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. As John narrated at the beginning of this farewell speech back in chapter 13, Jesus' hour has come, this time, this moment, this event, the death and resurrection of Jesus. This hour has come, it's literally for him right around the corner, the next few hours when Jesus will be arrested and will be crucified. And Jesus says in chapter 14, and he repeats it here, he says, Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And it's at the cross that we see the glory of God in its fullest. The glory we see in Jesus' life, and especially his death, it's not a glory that's displayed in brilliance and brightness. It's not a glory that comes with loud trumpet sounds and great fanfares and a public spectacle of divine power. It's a glory that, although, yes, displayed in power and miracles, is more so displayed in weakness, in love, in obedience, and in sacrifice as Jesus lays down his life willingly for the sins of the world. In verse 4, Jesus says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. He's been revealing the Father. He's been revealing the glory through his life and his words. And now he's going to show the glory of God in his death. Jesus is glorious and he's worthy of glory, not just because of who he is, but because of what he has done superheroes are flooding our cinema screen at the moment. Comic books turned into films. They're all the rage. And so what makes the best superheroes? And why do people love superheroes so much? We love superheroes because they're strong and powerful and have got great skill. But the best superheroes are not those who only have the power and the skill, but those who risk their lives to save others. It's those who stand in face of the enemy, who take on the battle, who maybe get beaten up for a while, but eventually they conquer and they defeat the enemy. And they rescue the poor, weak people who are at danger. And they're taken from the hands of the evil. We love these kinds of stories. We love this meta-narrative of life. People are in danger. They're in danger from someone evil. And they're unable to save themselves. Along comes a mighty and powerful good guy who fights and defeats the enemy, brings people, weak people, to safety. And Jesus is one who has more superpowers than anyone else in the whole universe, whether real or made up. He is God. He is glorious. He's the creator. He made all things. He sustains all things. He provides and he rules sovereign over all things. And in one sense, the greatness and the glory of Jesus and the power that he had in eternity was veiled when he became man. But in another sense, the glory of God in Jesus was on full display at the cross of Christ. As he loved the world, a world that hated him, that rebelled against him, he humbled himself by becoming a man. And he died in our place. He willfully and obediently went to the cross of of shame and of pain and of ridicule, standing in in our place, standing before the enemy, fighting, bearing the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. But not only that, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan so that all those who believe in him can have life, eternal life. Jesus says eternal life is knowing the Father, being in new relationship with him. He's brought us from the lowest and raised us up to the highest. Surely there is no greater hero than Jesus. But yet why don't people accept him? Jesus, for many in our world, is not a hero. People don't see the enemy that they are under the control of. They don't see the danger that they're in because of sin they haven't seen the greatness of Jesus. They haven't seen this mighty Savior who's come to deliver them from their sin. But instead, people's eyes are distracted by other things. They're distracted by modern-day gods and heroes. There's an interesting line in a recent Hugh Grant film called The Rewrite. Probably never seen it. That's what's happening to Hugh Grant these days. (laughs) He plays a a script-writing teacher, and he's teaching people. He's a failed script-writer in Hollywood, and he's teaching it now. And um, one of his students are obsessed with celebrities. They want to write for them. And one celebrity says, one uh, pupil says, celebrities are the gods of our time. And Hugh Grant was interviewed by a magazine about his film <laughs> and his failing career, and um, he was asked about this line, and whether what did he think of people thinking of him as a god? And well, he said he couldn't believe it, and they would have to be psychotic to think of him as a god. But the reality is, for many people, maybe not Hugh Grant, but some of our modern-day celebrities are our gods. They're the people we look up to, people we follow and listen to and, and want to be like. They've achieved greatness. They've displayed great skill. They're attractive to us. Their characters are good. We look up to them. They bring happiness to our lives. The World Athletics Championships in Beijing finished last week. And there were two athletes in particular who had lots of attention. Usain Bolt, the world's hero. Justin Gatlin, the world's enemy. Bolt, current, World and Olympic champion, Gatlin, the two-times-banned athlete for drugs. They're both together competing in the 1 and 200-meter races. But much to much joy of many people, Bolt won both races. But listen to Steve Cram's commentary after Bolt had won the 200-meters. He says, Usain Bolt has won... He saved his title, he saved his reputation, and he might just have saved his sport. Now, you say Bolt is a great athlete. He deserves praise for his achievements, but yet he is still human. He cannot save athletics by himself. But his apparent salvation over the controversy of drugs is tiny in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done in saving the world from its sin. All the power, all the majesty in the universe displayed there on the cross. As he and he alone, no one else could stand in our place to bear the wrath of God for us. But he does it. And so we give him praise. As Ephesians 1 says, all that Jesus has done for us on the cross is all for the praise of his glory. The glory of God displayed in Jesus' mission deserves our praise. It deserves glory. It deserves worship. <clears throat> Excuse me, because he's granted eternal life. He's made it possible that we can be in relationship with God and to know Him, not far off in a distant God, but personally, intimately. It's a glory that we get to know and experience, and it's a glory that we should pass on and tell others about, a glory that we should reflect. So secondly, the glory of God reflected in our mission, in Christian mission. Jesus has given eternal life to all those the Father has given to him. Verse 6, Jesus has given the disciples everything that the Father has given to him. And he prays for the disciples from verse 6 onwards. And he's praying that the Father would protect them and keep them safe. The last few weeks we've been thinking about opposition and persecution that Christians will face in mission. Because the world hates Jesus and they'll hate them too. So Jesus prays for protection. But then we're going to skip all that and jump down to verse 20. And when we get to verse 20, we notice that Jesus begins to pray for a larger group of people. He's not only praying for his disciples, but for all those who will believe in him through their message. Jesus is, of course, praying for all Christians throughout the history of the church, all those who have trusted in Christ And if that is you this morning, then he's praying for you. Let's read what he says. Let's go from verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that the world will believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I've loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus' prayer is that through the glory that he has given to his disciples and to the church, the glory which is knowing the Father, being in relationship with him, being united with him, being one with Jesus and one with God, sharing in that oneness, becoming more and more like Jesus by the Spirit. Things that we've looked at these last few weeks, through the glory that Jesus has given to his people, they would pass on that glory, reflect the glory into the world, that through their oneness, through their unity, through their life and mission, the world would see Jesus. And they would see Jesus in us, and they would know that Jesus is from the Father. All that he said and taught was true, and he really did what he said he did. When I was a teenager, maybe a bit younger too, I often went around to my friend's house, and it was clear from their bedrooms the kinds of things that they were interested in, whether it was from their posters on the walls or from memorabilia on their tables or their T-shirts, That they would wear. For some, maybe it was posters of footballers or celebrity girls. For others, it was action figures or Lego structures. For others, it was t shirts with the name of their favorite band printed on the front. And so it was obvious and clear what they spent their time doing, what they loved, what they spent their money on. Not necessarily what they worshipped, but things that they gave a lot of their attention to. And they were willing to show the world, look, I like whatever band it may have been. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should walk down the streets wearing T-shirts saying, I love Jesus, or Jesus loves you, or even that we should have fish in our car, although that's fine. But is it clear, or how clear is it, from your life, from your words, that you are a follower of Jesus? Do you reflect? The glory of God that's been given to you in Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the service, Dan quoted from a psalm and he mentioned Moses, Moses wanting to know God's ways and hearing about God's ways. And when Moses was up on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, he's receiving the law, the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, and he meets and talks with God and he sees the glory of God. And he comes back down the mountain and his face is glowing. It's radiant because he's met with God. And the people are afraid and they don't want to look on his face. So he puts a veil over his face so the people can't see. Now Moses had received the old covenant. But this old covenant was, was just a picture of a greater covenant that would come in Jesus. He was never going to save his people. It was just something to point forward to a greater glory but yet it still came in great glory. Paul speaks about these things in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He talked about this event of Moses, and he compares the glory that he received the law when he went up to the mountain, and he compares that with the new covenant and the glory that that is in Jesus. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved on letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Transitory although it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit, the new covenant in Jesus, may not that be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness and glory A glory that will last. Moses put a veil over his face so they wouldn't see it, but also because it was fading. It didn't last. But if you're a Christian here this morning, through faith in Jesus, you've been welcomed into a new covenant, a new relationship with God, and you have a glory that never fades, that will never fade. A glory that you can keep your veil up as it were, and display it, and share it, and reflect it to the world. And that's the role of the church as we head out into the world to reflect the glory. As we grow and become more like Christ in our lives, in, in our deeds, and our words, as we get to know him more in the relationship that we have with him, we reflect Jesus. And in our oneness and our unity together, and in our mission as Christians, we should reflect Jesus so as the world sees the church, they don't just see a group of people, but they see Jesus. And that means through suffering, as we've been learning the last few weeks too. We reflect glory through character, we reflect it through the words of Jesus, but we reflect it through our suffering. As Jesus' glory was shown in his suffering, so it will be in ours And so, another motivation for living a life knowing we'll face opposition is that we reflect the glory of God. And so, the question for us this morning is do we? Do we reflect His glory? Or are we more concerned and more interested in reflecting other types of glory? Glory of this world. Glory that's only going to fade, that will die. Glory that will let us down and will fail. Peter says in, in One Pizza One, all the glory of man is like a flower of the field. There was a, a second-hand shop selling some medals, some World War I and World War II medals that once upon a time hung around the necks of brave soldiers. There was the French Cru de Guerre, $2. American Distinguished Service Medal, $10. German Iron Cross, one dollar. A Mon Star, which is a British service medal, one dollar. An Italian War Cross, three dollars. The glory of man is only for a while. Celebrities die, kings get defeated. Our own glory will never last. And as C.T. Studd said in a famous poem, only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. It will last because it will go on forever. And as we reflect the glory of God and as that glory gets brighter and brighter, the more we become like Christ, we'll know that one day we will share in the fullness of that glory. And so thirdly, the glory of God shared at the end of all mission. In eternity past, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed in a perfect unity, a loving relationship of glory. They didn't need to create the universe. God is not dependent upon the universe for his existence or for his pleasure. But God chose to create. God's glory and love was so perfect and so wonderful, he didn't want to keep it to himself. He wanted to share it with you. And with the world he chose to give himself in creating a world and sharing his love sharing his glory and so jesus came and he prayed in verse five now father glorify me in your presence with the glory i had before the world began the glory that jesus had from all eternity it was on full display in all its splendor and majesty in heaven The disciples caught a glimpse of that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration as they saw Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes were bright as light. It's Jesus' desire to want to return to that glory. And he prays for that. But yet more so in verse 24, he prays for more. He prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So Jesus wants the Father to glorify him in his presence, but also for one day of all his people to be where he is and to share in his glory, to see it in its fullness, in its completeness, in its radiance, in its brilliance, in its brightness, in its perfection. And friends, one day that will be true. Revelation 21 describes that day when the new heavens and the new earth are made and the new Jerusalem, the people of God, come back down to earth and God's dwelling place is now therefore with men. And the chapter describes the city of God and all its wonder and beauty. Then in verse 23, John says, The light, the city, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, For the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. It's a beautiful picture, a beautiful image of the brilliance and the radiance of the glory of God. Just like the sun shines and brights up the day, so will the glory of God on that last day. What will it be like? What will it be like to, to enjoy and share in the glory of God? I'm sure any words we can come up with will always fall short. In Islam, they teach that paradise is a place of perfection and of pleasure. It's a place where all your heart desires will be satisfied. You'll be far removed from sadness and sorrow, a place of peace and everlasting life. But it's a place that has to be earned. It's not guaranteed. It's a place that is given to those whom Allah is pleased with. And it's a place that seems to be absent of God, or at least absence from any kind of relationship with him. Whereas he- heaven of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is perfection and, and, and there is absence of evil and death, but it's a place of complete fullness of the eternal and loving relationship that we have with the Father that exists now in Christ, and will go on forever and ever. Because we were made for a relationship. We were made for God to know him and enjoy him. Living lives of pleasure and having all our desires met is the problem with our world. Because we're never satisfied. We only keep destroying ourselves and destroying those around us. True happiness and excitement and joy and pleasure is found in Jesus. Because we're made for that purpose. Two brothers were discussing their life's goals after Sunday school one day. The first brother said he wanted to be rich and famous. The second brother said his goal was to follow Christ to the fullest. The second brother went on and he reached his goal. His name was David Livingston, the renowned medical missionary and explorer of Africa. The first went on to be rich, and but his fame came from his brother. And on his tombstone it reads, here lies the brother of David Livingston. Another American missionary in the 18th century was a friend of the great Jonathan Edwards. And he said to Jonathan Edwards on his deathbed, I do not go to heaven to be advanced, to get the pleasure and the glory for myself, but to give honor to God. God. It is no matter where I shall be stationed in heaven, whether in a high or a low seat, but to live and please and glorify God. My heaven is to please God and glorify Him and give all to Him. All to whom devoted to His glory. This missionary had given his life to reflect the glory of God in mission. He faced hardship, he faced trial. He faced opposition, even from Christians. But in his death, he could look forward to eternity. He could look forward to the glory of God. To say I want to live my life for the glory of God is a challenge because it means it's not about us. And we love us. We love to live for ourselves. And if we're not satisfied living for the glory of God here, we will never be satisfied living for the glory of God then. We probably won't even be there. The new heavens and the new earth are for those who want to glorify God because they've come to realize and understand his glory and what it is and what he's done for us. And therefore, we'd want to spend eternity glorifying him. But the glory of God in heaven, giving glory to God is, we will not be an everlasting church service where we'll be singing hymns forever but a new heavens and a new earth. It will be physical, it will be tangible, it will be where we can enjoy creation in its perfection, where we will work, and we will work with pleasure, where we will enjoy one another's company. But the Lord Jesus will be the focus of our attention. He will be the subject of our conversation. He will be the joy of our hearts. That day will be, it will come, but it is not yet. So until that day, let us live our lives now reflecting the glory of God, the glory he's given to us in Christ. And as we reflect the glory of God, people will see it and will be attracted to it and come in and share in it. Knowing that one day we will ultimately see and share in the glory of God for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the glimpses of your glory that we see in Scripture, for those wonderful um, visions of God that people like Moses had, seeing your glory. But Lord, ultimately, we thank you for the glory that you showed, that was displayed for the world at the cross, that in love and obedience in sacrifice, in death and shame and humiliation, there Jesus dies. the greatest event in all of history, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the most glorious events. Jesus, the greatest hero, saving us from the greatest of enemies. And Father, I pray this morning, if anyone has not seen that, that they would see it this morning, that anyone who doesn't understand the glory of God, would, that you would help them by your spirit to, to grasp its greatness, because it's for them. I pray that they would want to share in the glory of God through Christ. And for each of us here this morning who, who are Christians, who have come to understand and know the glory of God and, and want to live a life reflecting it, or may we want to live a life reflecting the glory of God. May it be obvious and clear through our lives, through our words and our actions, through our character, through our suffering. We pray, Lord, that this Morden Road Church, we pray that it would shine brightly in East Oxford. The glory of God, may it be visible for those around to see. And we pray all of these things for the glory of, your, of God. Amen.